Welcome to EY Access with your host, Eric Young. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of EY Access. I'm your host for today, Megan Bryson. I'm filling in for Eric Young. And I'm joined today by Stefan Nanzik, who is the VP of Marketing at Signify. Stefan, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. And we've asked Stefan to join us because Signify is our trusted fraud prevention partner. And fraud is a big issue in e-commerce today. And it's something that we constantly get asked about from our clients and uh, partners and things like what's going on, what people are seeing, what they're doing. And we really wanted to cover fraud as a whole today, talk about how big the problem is and really what merchants can do to protect themselves. So just to start off here, Stefan, what are you seeing as far as how many merchants are affected by fraud? So it's really not so much a question of how many merchants, it's more really a life cycle um, question of the maturity of that particular merchant. It almost boils down to, are they someone who has not had a chargeback problem yet, or are they going to be having it in the future? Because um, as marketing dies up, as everything kind of like comes into fruition as a successful e-commerce business, at some point you're just going to be on the radar of the process as well, and that's when you're actually going to be hit with the first attack. So in the life cycle of the company, pretty much everybody at some point will have to go through the phase of dealing with fraud if they run an e-commerce store. Yeah, that's a great point. And what would you say that how much does fraud cost the average business? So the cost of fraud is actually like a multifaceted um, thing. So it kind of starts with the more obvious losses due to chargebacks. So this is really like the direct fraud losses that everybody has top of mind when they think um, cost of fraud. This amounts to about like 0.9% of the revenue of an uh, average merchant in e-commerce. However, in order to get there, like there's an operational expensive component. This is really like tools or people needed to operate and deal with a fraud problem. This is about 1.6% of the um, average e-commerce revenue of an e-commerce company. But then what we learned over time more and more, that is really the biggest impact when it comes to the cost of fraud is over time as the fraud detection process matures out, merchants start to get more and more restrictive in the orders that they accept due to fear of fraud. So what happens is they start declining orders that are actually good, and this amounts to about 2.9% of their revenue um, on average, which really is the major cost component of that. So if you add all of that together, like you end up roughly by at 5.4% of total revenue that goes into cost of fraud, which really, if you do the math, applies this to the 461 billion sales that we have in the U.S. in e-commerce in total. The problem evenly amounts like $25 billion in the U.S. alone. Wow, and that's a great point. I guess I hadn't really thought of the fact that cautious merchants are going to be turning down good business just because they want to protect themselves. And that's not something, you know, no merchant wants to miss out on legitimate business. So that's a great point. It's not something I had thought about. Sure. Let's talk about the fraud as far as how it's growing. And are we seeing an upward trend? Um, definitely not. Like we actually just recently did another study called like the e-commerce fraud index. Um, that one showed that um, fraud actually grew by 7% um, year over year. And that's actually just the same percentage of fraud that's already out there. So if you multiply that with the e-commerce rate actually growing as a whole, typically around like 10, 20% a year, year over year, uh, the total amount of fraud losses that the economy actually has to burden is just getting bigger and bigger. Wow. 
Now, when you and I last talked, you guys were giving me some great information and sort of some educational value about fraud and what types of fraud merchants experience. You know, me, I've always just thought of fraud as someone gets your credit card number and they use it. But there, that's not the only kind of thing that a merchant has to be up against and has to deal with. Can you kind of explain some of the different types of fraud that merchants see on their store? And- For sure. Um, so, as you alluded to, the most obvious one is really the stolen credentials, kind of like um, use case. The most common one that everybody kind of thinks of first when they hear fraud is really a stolen credit card um, that has been compromised. So then somebody else using that, making purchases online, and obviously the original card owner filing chargeback, and hence the chargeback loss is really what the merchants then um, are liable for. Um, this can actually come in multiple flavors, so it doesn't always have to be the credit card that is being compromised by, let's say, having been exposed to a merchant somewhere in the physical world and they've taken a copy. Actually, in the days of breaches and like all of that, I mean, pretty much your data is floating out there in, in the web. And with market spaces in the, in the dark web and all of that good stuff, they tend to easily trade it and like go over there. So account takeover is actually a result out of that. So this really means fraudsters just don't really have to hack accounts any longer. They actually have the right credentials because they could purchase them somewhere. They just take over a valid account that somebody has with think a Netflix account or something like that. And then they just start consuming that service, which very often doesn't even produce a chargeback in, in that context. But even more different than that is the context of this is really not a criminal or cyber crime syndicate kind of like targeting you. There's this whole notion that it's kind of like educated fraud, uh, which really goes into the territory of consumer abuse. Um, so those are actually legit card owners who just file um, fraud and chargebacks because they either get buyer's remorse or sticker shock, like they purchase something that they really should not have, and then rather than to go through the return policies or Actually, even because they want to keep the product, they file a fraudulent chargeback and just claim they never received it or the product was actually like not ordered by them. And that is actually like a common thing that we also start seeing more. Actually, it was a very interesting um, side case, which is called the friendly fraud scenario. This is actually like the religious card owner filing a fraudulent chargeback claim on a transaction but not because they actually want to abuse the merchant, but mainly because they didn't recognize this particular charge. Which could be due to the fact that the merchant has used a different name on their credit card statements than their company name is known for, or actually somebody in the household of the cardholder that had access to the card using that without the knowledge of the actual cardholder. So it's kind of like an accidental chargeback. And hence terminology of friendly fraud can emerge for that one. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone out somewhere and made a charge and then you get home and you look at your bank account and you're like what the heck and you realize that they're operating under a parent company or entity or something and it doesn't look anything like the restaurant name or the store name that you were spending money at so that's a great point and again not something that i had thought of to sort of add to the complexity of this issue and the kind of things that merchants are seeing and having to deal with that leads me into my next question as far as what options does a merchant have when it comes to protecting themselves? So I think this is almost a natural progression. If you think about that, you have a problem, you have to deal with it. So what merchants start doing naturally, um, they really want to like shield themselves from the risk. And you do this by taking a look at every order that you're going to get and assessing, like, am I willing to actually take the risk, ship the order, and pretty much fulfill that? 
or do I expect this to be a fraudulent order and rather decline and walk away from the revenue, but shield myself from that risk? Um, in order to do that, I mean, first maturity stage, typically smaller merchants start looking at like orders manually and just trying to assess it themselves, which is obviously really hard to spot because are smart and these orders look really good, um, so it's not easy to spot them. But then as this, this function kind of matures, they typically do get some sort of a detection engine or tool in place so that helps them looking at all the different digital points, how the owners are made up, to then better determine like, is that actually something that is definitely a good order because it's very legit, or are there kind of red flags of why this should be considered a risky slash potentially fraud order, and then walk away from that. But it really boils down to the simple thing of like, it's a strategy of avoidance, like you try to identify those orders that look fraudulent and decide not to ship them in the first place so that you cannot be harmed by them. And that sounds like a lot of work. If a merchant is to use something like an expert partner like Signified, what does Signified do to help verify those orders so that a merchant's not sitting on the back end pouring over hundreds of orders trying to figure out what looks legitimate and what doesn't? I mean, the biggest advantage of actually working with a third party for that is definitely to consider the scale. Like, I mean, this very easily becomes a very time-consuming um, effort to kind of do this, particularly if you have to do it manually. So the scale of operations just by automation, but also the scale of data. Like if you look at um, the different data points that a company like us is actually looking at to make a determination whether something is fraudulent or not, um, we actually have a big data approach. So we have tons of behavioral data. We like to call this the digital body language of people that helps us to really understand how they navigate the site, what are they doing there, like what are the different steps, how is this pattern comparing to good users versus like um, non-good users in the past that we've seen. We also use that data set across the whole network of merchants that we have. And at this point, we have more than 10,000 merchants in, a, in part of our network, which really allows us to see these patterns across sites as buyers, typically consumers shop on more than one e-commerce store, so we follow them all through these different um, sites to see like the good ones versus the bad ones. And actually at this point, we also do this in 100 plus more countries, um, which means that global coverage, like if you have these orders coming in from foreign countries, like you don't have to worry about that any longer. Obviously all of that requires um, technology, like a decent amount of really high sophisticated technology. So what we leverage is an advanced machine learning algorithm that runs on top of this huge amount of data. So it's instant decisions, real-time decisions, but again, it goes back to scalability and automation. So what you want to have in place is the feedback loops when you do machine learning. Like you want to make sure that the chargebacks that are still occurring, that they're fed back into the machine learning engine so it can actually do that, it can learn over time. Definitely more than someone can take on on their own, or even if you had a team of people doing it, you wouldn't get the same amount of data and machine learning as quickly as you would using a tool like this. Right, not easily. What guarantees are there out there for customers that use a third-party tool? The Signified actually pioneered um, a new approach to the fraud problem. I was actually talking about like really the only chance that a merchant has is a strategy of avoidance of like identifying the orders and walking away from the ones that look sketchy. Um, so Signified actually thought this is, I mean, first of all, not really rewarding for an entrepreneur and mindset that most e-commerce merchants actually have because um, it feels like you're avoiding the problem, like you're giving in to the bully, pretty much. So what we decided to do is we're actually not going to sell a tool, we're not going to sell a fraud detection platform and let the merchant alone with a decision what they should do with the data that we provide with them. And we actually decided to package this all together and use the machine learning I was describing, plus a liability shift, 
that really allows us to approve an order for our merchants. And if we say this is a good order and they still get a chargeback, um, they automatically going to get reimbursed within 48 hours, no questions asked on um, that loss that occurred to them. It allows us to have perfect data because now we have all the chargebacks being told up to us because people obviously want to reimburse their, their losses. So there's almost real-time kind of like chargeback ingestion into the model. But it also enables us to say we constantly actually send out orders or tell our merchants to send out orders that even our own engine tells us are fraudulent. Because if you really think about that, if you only feed the declines into your model, over time you get more and more defensive. And this really feeds to what I was talking about in the very beginning, like the cost of like losses due to declines. The machine learning has the same problem. If you have a control group where you actually ship orders that the machine learning engines believe are fraudulent, cover the liability for the merchants. So the merchants are never going to be harmed by the fact that we actually ship to a potentially fraudulent order and then confirm that those orders come back as chargebacks. There will be some that won't come back as chargebacks and that's another data feed into the machine learning that helps us to do something that we call balanced learning so that our machine learning actually learns a balanced approach of like these were actually bad orders that slipped through, these were good orders that were blocked, and hence it kind of balances its approach to that. In a nutshell, this is really like a peace of mind approach for merchants that want to be fully hands-off and kind of have somebody else deal with that, while they really focus on the core of their business and how to be successful as an e-commerce entrepreneur. Glad you explained all that because I think that, you know, merchants think, oh, you know, this might be expensive, and can we afford to do this? I think the question is really, can you afford not to do it? Right. And the way that we think about this is it's really a balance, if you will, between the fear and the convenience for your customer. Like, this is a customer experience problem. Like, if you are giving into your fear, you put more friction, you put barriers and boundaries in front of, like, the customer experience, you really sacrifice something that should be holy to any e-commerce merchant, which is the convenience of my buyer to come back and be a happy buy on my site. Absolutely. So now that we've kind of talked about what the tool does, let's talk about how do customers integrate it with their current platform? Like, let's say someone's listening to this and they're interested. Um, what's the best way for them to get started and how does that work? So it kind of depends on what platform they're currently on. Like, Signify actually has a couple of ready-made plugins for some of the um, leading platforms out there. So if you're in big commerce, Magento, Shopify, or Salesforce Commerce Cloud, I mean, there are ready-made kind of like modules that you can just turn on, kind of activate the service through. Um, for everybody else, like we actually have a fully extensive API that makes it um, straightforward to connect any sort of like other custom, even homegrown system um, to our engine and then kind of talk back and forth with our engine on, take a look at the order and get the decision back on what you should do in order like shipping them or not shipping them. And how long does it take to get the tool up and running? So in the small business space with the plugins, I mean, if you think of Shopify, like there's a try and buy, you can actually go to the app store, install the app and be up and running on the same day. Um, so there's really like no delay whatsoever there. Um, if you have to go through the API integration, you want to do some cycles, you potentially have to balance up with IP priorities that your team is working on and kind of like getting into, into those. Like we do see merchants typically complete that like in less than 30 days once they kicked off um, their integration project, even if it's like true API integration. 
And where should merchants go if they want more information? Yes, I would suggest actually take a look at our website, particularly in the customers section of the website. We have tons of videos and case studies and our eye studies on how the solution actually worked out for other merchants in the different industries. So finding somebody that actually speaks to a merchant and then kind of like listening to their journey is probably the best way to, to get more information on that. Great. And that's just signified.com and that's S-I-G-N-I-F-Y-D.com. Stefan, I so appreciate your time today. I know you've taught me a lot about fraud in the industry, you know, what's going on and what merchants can do about it. And uh, I really appreciate, you know, you taking the time to sort of educate us and give us some options here. Well, it was a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. And join us next time for another episode of EY Access.